In the fall each year we all congregate The bound all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Seth Saunders, joined as always by my co-host, James Kim, coming off of Showdown Saturday, or Spotlight Saturday, or Separation Saturday, whatever you want to call it. It was a full day of games on Saturday, brother. It was wonderful. I was never wished for my kids' soccer games to get canceled, but because of the rain from the storm, my kids' soccer games got canceled. I got to watch college football from, like, noon till 10. It was wonderful. And it was some great games on Saturday. I mean, homie, that's like winning the lottery. Like, you got to win yeah. a lottery ticket on Saturday. It, it was spectacular. And it was pouring down rain, so it's not like I could do anything outside. I didn't have, couldn't do any yard work. It was torrential downpour all, all day. All I had to do was take my dogs outside for a few minutes so they could use the bathroom and then run inside. So it was great. God, I'm so envious. My, my Saturday was not that. We'll talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about week four, but I want to start off by uh, thanking our presenting partners this fall. We're so thankful to have them. Uh, Classic City Collective, the NIL arm for Georgia Athletics. Uh, they are just outstanding. If you are not a 21 club member, get on it, baby. I mean, 21 bucks a month, and you're helping Georgia student athletes across all sports, not just football, but across all sports. Everything they do is awesome. Their work is awesome. Great people. Please get on that. Also, they got cool swag. We got one of their hats up here. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, Peach State Light, you know, we call it, it's, it's the unofficial beer of Georgia, but for us, it's the official beer of the tailgate. So if you guys are not popping tops on Peach State Lights all fall, or when you're hanging out at concerts, whatever it may be, get on that. Uh, Jake Sapp that, that owns that and started that, just a great dude, loves the dogs um, from Athens. I mean, just as easy to support as possible, and the beer's great. So hop on that. And then a uh, Haber Supply Company, man, cool, cool swag, uh, great dog stuff. I'm wearing one of their hats right now. They got a cool natty uh, line that's really cool. Their Saturday in Athens hat is up here on the mantle. Um, have really enjoyed getting to know them and working with them. So, yeah, man, just three really, really awesome partners. If y'all could support them, that would be outstanding. All their information is in our show notes. And all their uh, social media handles are on our social media accounts. So go follow and go support. All three of those uh, organizations are all outstanding. And we're just so grateful to have them on board this fall as our presenting partners. Uh, week four, brother. Look, man, I've been stewing on this and thinking about this since Saturday night. So I have to leave with this. How on earth for consecutive plays does Notre Dame only have 10 men on the field? I have no idea. That starts with Freeman. That starts with the coaching. Is just a complete oversight, and they ran the ball directly at where the 10th guy should be. Yeah. So they're missing a D lineman, and Notre Dame deserved to lose that football game based off the coaching in the, at the end of that game, uh, defensive coaching. They ran a soft zone shell on third and 19. Yep. How do you, why do you do that? I'm not saying you bring pressure, but you can't run a soft 
shell zone with those wide receivers. You just can't. Those probably the best trio of wide receivers in college football. And you've got to do something to disrupt them, jam them something. Don't let them get behind you. I get that. But you've got to do something to disrupt the flow. You just let uh, Emeka Aboko just sit in the zone and try to collapse on it when the pass came. You can't do that. And you let him get to the sticks on top of it twice on big third down plays. I, just, I don't understand. That was just poor coaching all the way around on Notre Dame at the end of that game. I just I couldn't process it, man. Like we were watching it, and that's one of my habits. You know, I'm a counter, so I always count players. It's like become one of my things. I used to, I I started doing it watching the dogs, and then now I just do it. It's just reflexive. And I was sitting there like I can't believe this. I got ten minutes on the field, and then dude, out of the timeout, do the same thing. I'm pretty sure Ohio State ran the same exact play on third and fourth down. I think it's a pure read play, right? Like McCord as quarterback has the opportunity to change in and out of whatever they have. And on that third down look, they took the quick, you know, like the quick bubble or whatever it is to the wide out, which got stuffed. And I think they came back on fourth and they essentially said during the timeout, like, look, if we get the same look, just take the run. Like, let's go weak side with the run. And I mean, dude, I just, oh, also, let's also talk about, which this is not a coaching thing, but I mean, dropped a tailor-made interception yes about six plays into that drive like yep. hit the guy right in the hands and dropped it i looked at my brother and i go that's that's gonna come back and bite him like if you got a chance to end it you got to end it and the other piece of it is score some points man <laughs> you got ohio state on the ropes all night they play great defense and the offense puts up 14 points like i you gotta score points man and I, I at some point you have to start wondering culturally if this is just in the minds of that program. Like, did I see something that their record against ranked opponents over the last twenty some years is like four and fourteen or something like that? I mean, it was a horrendous, horrendous number. It's something ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was not good, man. And that's when you you start thinking like, is this a cultural thing? Like, do they just? They not believe that they're elite enough to do this. When I was watching the game, some of the decisions, like I felt like I was watching Lane Kiffin coaching against Alabama previous years, not Saturday, but previous years. Some of the coaching decisions just were very bizarre. Um, going for it early in the game on fourth down, trying to make a statement. I get that. But, you know, not not taking opportunities to get points when you have them. And then anytime there was a, it's every, it always seemed like anytime there was a big momentum shift in the game when the defense made a big stop, instead of taking, you know, a shot when you get like close to midfield, it was like, we're going to come back and we're going to run it twice. Like it just, the coaching decisions were just so bizarre the entire game. It's like they were so scared to make a mistake that they didn't take any chances at all after that fourth down stop in the first quarter. So I did not understand the coaching decisions throughout the entire game. I mean, obviously I was watching the dogs a little bit, but I was really trying to watch the majority of the Notre Dame game. I was watching the dogs on my tablet and watching uh, the Notre Dame game on my TV. And it was just, it was really just a bizarre, bizarre game. And I mean, I did not understand any of the coaching decisions that Freeman, really the entire staff made the majority of the game. 
Man, I think the other takeaway from that game for me is, is you don't come away super impressed with Ohio State. At least I don't. I watch that game, and I'm like, they do not seem like they have the correct dealer <laughs> at the quarterback position for all of their, you know, aces that they have at wide receiver. Like, they just – that offense did not look explosive to me, did not look like an offense that I would be scared of. And if I'm Michigan, man, I feel great. Like, we're fixing it dump truck them for the third year in a row. I just, I thought that game was more of an indictment on Notre Dame than it was an affirmation of Ohio State. Like, Ohio State's gettable is what that game showed me. And I'm not sure Penn State doesn't get them, to be honest with you. So, they may not even get to the Michigan game undefeated. I think Penn State's perfectly equipped to, to beat them the way they are currently constructed. So, yeah, I, that was a takeaway. I mean, dude, you bring up Lane Kiffin. God, I'm so angry at myself. We talked about it last week, and I said, the one variable in this is Lane Kiffin being Lane Kiffin against Nick Saban. And God, is that not what it looked like all day Saturday? It's like they just, it's like there's just this mental block where they can't do what they should do. I mean, that Alabama team is not good. That's just the fact of the matter. They are just not good. And Ole Miss letting that get away, you're not going to have any better chances than that to come at the king and get him. So, yeah, man. Again, I do not think it was any type of affirmation Alabama. I just think, God, old Miss laid the egg, man. Just laid an egg. For, let's not completely say that it was almost Jackson Dart laid an egg. He got way too – I mean, I love cockiness in a quarterback. you got to be confident and you got to be a little arrogant. But those couple of times that he got his – those runs where he got his helmet knocked off and he's getting up, you know, talking trash and stuff like that, it's like, dude, you had an eight-yard run. It's like, come on. It's not like, you know, you scored a touchdown or, you know, you made a, a big play and got a first down on third and ten or something. Like that play where he got his helmet knocked off and he got up talking trash. And it's like, uh, okay, I, I don't really yeah. get that. And then – it's he, the whole team seemed to embody the tightness that Kiffin has usually yeah. felt against Saban in the second half. Yep. And just mistake after mistake, like that, the long pass interception that he threw, like into double coverage, like I don't understand that at all. He probably could have ran for the first down on that play. Um, and the pretty much the refusal, I know Junkins has been banged up, but the refusal to really try to run the ball with Junkins really didn't make any sense. I, I didn't understand the game plan there. It was like, we're going to throw the ball all over you, and you got to try and stop it, and they did. I didn't really understand their, their game plan at, at all attacking the defense. And the fact that they were throwing the ball so much basically gave Alabama, by the, by the fourth quarter, they had worn down Ole Miss's defense so much that the offensive line of Alabama finally looked like this juggernaut that we've been hearing about all, all season, and they were over these huge holes yep. from McClellan, and they just were able to run down their throat. This was a very stereotypical Alabama 2011-12 Alabama performance. You know, limit the mistakes other than the one interception by Milrow in the end zone, which was just another terrible interception by him and we're going to pound you with defense and we're going to run it down your throat. That was very, you know, reminiscent of the McElroy teams. I think currently constructed, that's how they should be. You know, I, I think there is a path forward for them with Norwood quarterback that can be successful. 
they just got to call it that way. I mean, the way you described it is perfect. They need to limit mistakes, run the football, control clock. I think they're perfectly constructed to compete in the West if they do that. And then Milrow's got plenty of arm talent to pop one over the top when you need it. I just think you got to be real smart about limiting his views, right? Like, we don't want to give him a lot of variability on route options and these type things. Like, let's just make it clear cut. Like, here's the two options on this. Find one of the two. If they're not there, take off or throw it away. That's it. That's all we want you yeah. to do. We just don't want to turn the ball over. We don't want to give away possessions. I think they're – McClellan is plenty, plenty in that Alabama mold to tote the rock and, and be great on that side of the ball. So, man, if I was him, that's what I would do. So, yeah, that the West is – I have no feel for the West division at all. I, I don't know how that's going to play out. LSU got all they wanted from Arkansas, which we talked about. Man, I loved that number. Plus 17 and a half in the Golden Boot game. Come on now. And I thought Arkansas came out and played really well. And I just kind of wonder if that's who LSU is. You know, I know everybody got excited about the win over Mississippi State, but like then Mississippi State goes in and gets beat by South Carolina, which Spencer Rattler had a fantastic game. He's having a fantastic year. And boy, that game against Tennessee, I think, is super interesting this weekend in Knoxville with the way Spencer's been playing. And yeah, I. Maybe that South Carolina team is undervalued. I don't know. We're, I'm biased, right? Because I thought they looked real good in the first half against us, and I can't decide if that was them or if that was us or what it was, right? Um, but that North Carolina loss looks better and better, I think, as the season has progressed and North Carolina has played the way they played. I mean, they dusted Pitt on Saturday. That game was never in question. Um, let's stay in the ACC. I want to go up to Death Valley, the other Death Valley and talk about the opener of the day, that Florida State-Clemson game. I think we were probably both surprised at how that second half played out. I expected Florida State to kind of gallop out a little bit after the half. And man, it just didn't happen. Clemson was there for an all-day all day affair. And absent that sack fumble, which, God, what a play. How beautiful is that? Yes, that You could just awesome. see the sea open, and he puts helmet right on ball, and it was an absolute just thump. And then I thought it was poetic that he ended up getting the bounce to pick it up and take it back for the score. So, yeah. But man, absent that, Clemson's driving there. And that game was interesting. And Clemson's in a weird spot now. 0-2 in the conference. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how the numbers shake out, but is there a path to the ACC title game with them already being 0-2 with Duke sitting undefeated, Carolina sitting undefeated? I don't know. They're kind of, their season's kind of you know, up in smoke. I mean, they would need absolute chaos to happen for them to, to get in the, in the title game. Yeah. I don't see it happening. And, and let's be, let's be realistic. I don't see it happening, not because of Clemson, but because of the teams in front of them. I mean, Duke yeah. and Carolina, one of them is going to lose when they play each other, but yeah. I'm not sure if Duke and Carolina are going to lose can lose three times for Clemson to get in. Agreed. That's the issue. Yeah. That's my issue. I don't see Clemson getting in the title game. And even if I did, I don't see Clemson being able to win the title game because I just don't think Clemson is that good. I go back to the, let's, let's talk about the game a little bit in the second half of that game. We both expected this to play out a lot. Like we the LSU game played out. 
and yep. Florida State to come out and just kind of pull away and dominate the second half. I go back to coaching. I don't understand the play calling in the second half. It was basically like we're going to run Seattle on Madden and NCAA football, and we're just going to run streaks, and we're going to throw the ball deep every single time. Um, and there was no real underneath game. There was no running game at all. They didn't even try to run the ball in the second half. Not that it was successful, but when there's no threat of the run game, and I understand Travis was banged up, and he there was no threat of him running the ball, really. But when you don't try to run the ball, the linebackers are just sitting back, and that takes away the underneath passing game. And you're just running your wide receivers deep every play. Eventually, it worked with Keon Coleman getting the touchdown in the in overtime, but Travis was really ineffective in the second half because all they were doing was throwing long passes. I mean, at, at one point, it felt like they just threw bombs four, five, six straight plays in a row in the fourth quarter. And it's like, what are they doing? Yeah, You got to try something else. This just isn't going to work. And I, I don't know. I, I didn't understand the coaching there either. I mean, I know they won the game, but that was... And I know it's in a hostile environment. I, I get all that, but I just was, I did not come away as impressed with them as I did after the LSU win. Maybe it was a little bit of, in their heads, a little bit because it's Clemson and they had one in yeah. forever and it's in Clemson. Yeah. And, you know, this that was the mountain they needed to climb. So maybe things will look a little bit different going forward. But I just felt like that that was very odd, the play calling on offense. The defense looked really good, I thought. Um, mm-hmm even though Clemson was able to move the ball, like I felt like the defense played really well all game, even though Clemson got some points. Um, but I just don't understand the offensive play calling there in the second half, you know, just let's, let's run streaks and hopes, hope we hit one. Yeah. I'm interested to see if this functions like a springboard for FSU. Cause to your point, I think it does clear some mental cobwebs that have been there for seemingly a decade where Clemson just owned them. And so now that's gone, right? Like we have slayed that dragon and we are now going to move on to just playing a little freer and they're in the driver's seat. I mean, they control their destiny completely in not just the ACC race, but in the CFP race, because if they went out, oh, they're in. And so yeah, you got to feel pretty good if you're attached to that Florida State program or a fan of that program about where things sit there. Uh, how about game day going to Durham this weekend? You think they're going to take your boys' fact and drop the Rose Bowl on them or what? If they don't bring that up, they've whiffed horrendously. I mean, I I doubt it just because it's game day and they're all about – I don't even know what game day is about. I, I don't watch it anymore because it's just too loud and obnoxious for me. Um, I haven't watched yeah. game day since 21. I, I just – I'm not a fan of McAfee. I'm just not. I'm, I guess, you know, like like we said before, we're, we're getting old and we're like get off my lawn type people now. So it's just, it's kind of a, a more of obnoxious. I, I watch a little bit of it here and there, but it's just, I haven't sat down and watch a full full game day show since 21. Yeah, I, I, I love that they're going there just because I think it's cool for Duke. And, uh, Duke is becoming one of those teams where I've started to pick in our pool each week because, dude, they're not just beating people. I mean, they are blowing up. They're drubbing them. Yeah, and so, and I think this is one of those things too where, and I try to find certain teams like this each year, because historically it's Duke, right? Like they stink. And so yeah. I think Vegas and I think betters are hesitant to adjust the model for this singular version of the team because they have all this history of Duke being Duke. And like, dude, I thought that UConn number was a slam dunk on Saturday. Like it should have been more points and it wasn't. 
And, yeah, they just obliterated that line. And so they're becoming one of those teams this year where they're fun to pick because the numbers are good for them. And I think they'll be fun against Notre Dame because, man, I think, yeah, home game, they're going to be jacked up. That atmosphere is going to be great. Riley Leonard's a good player. Mike Elko's doing a hell of a job coaching that program. I mean, yeah, that's going to be a fun matchup. Let's shift out to the Pac-12. And a lot of exciting games or exciting matchups on Saturday. I think the game of the day out there ended up being Oregon State-Washington State. How about the Cougs, baby? Cameron Ward had a day. That was a fun game. And I I will say that that game was not as close as the score indicated. They were up quite a few scores, and Oregon State came back to make it closer. Oregon State had their chances in the end. Not saying that they didn't have a shot. But Washington State controlled that game for 57 minutes. Um, They were in control in the beginning, and it looked like they were going to run away with it from for the majority of the game and Oregon State made a ferocious comeback there at the end but I mean it is a very very good chance if the Heisman voters aren't complete East Coast biased that every single Heisman candidate comes from the West Coast this year it could happen dude if if they don't cannibalize themselves meaning that that conference doesn't cannibalize itself which dude they're apt to do because a lot of fun teams a lot of good teams I think you could very easily have Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, and Cameron Ward in New York. And I would have no problem with it, the way they've yep. all played so far. Nope. Yeah, dude. I mean, that's the other thing. Look, I would have led with this if not for the 10 men on the field. For me, brother, there is not a less talked about program and a less talked about player in America than Washington and Michael Penix. What they put up in the first half on Saturday, 45 points? Yeah, some, something. I'm pretty sure it was 42 or 45. Defensive touchdown, special teams touchdown, and I think Penix threw for over 300 yards in the first half. Like, they are a machine right Did now. he play in the second half at all? I don't think he did, dude. I don't think he did because the numbers didn't change much. I went to bed around halftime of that game, and the numbers didn't change much. And, like, dude, his numbers right now are ridiculous and they are mopping the floor people and look i know everybody said they haven't played anybody and whatever but you got to play who's in front of you and they are dusting people so man i cannot wait for that oregon washington game cannot wait first off they hate each other capital h-a-t-e hate each other and if they both come into that game undefeated with those two quarterbacks oh my god also I know I'm bouncing around like crazy. I'm like a pinball machine right now. But there's so much that happened Saturday. Homie, Dan Lanning's pregame speech, and I know it's been a hot-button topic all week, but holy hellfire. I was so jacked up. I was like, is this Kirby? West Coast Kirby? Like, what is happening right now? <laughs> Dude, it was electric. It was spectacular. I thought the same thing. I played it for my wife, who's now become a diehard dog fan, and she listens to all the stuff Kirby does. And I didn't show her it. I just listened to it, and she was like, who is that? And I was like, sounds like Kirby, doesn't it? And she's like, yeah. I was like, that's the old dog's defensive coordinator. So she's like, oh, okay. She liked it as well. Like It was spectacular. And they played a little bit more and more of it as the, the week's gone on. And look, that game was not close. It was not competitive. But I'm not sure if any team 
was going to beat Oregon on Saturday. Nope. With all the talk going into that week, Oregon was the better pair. They were a better coach team. And the way Colorado came into that game and came onto that field and all the trash they were talking, and then you have to, first of all, be have some confidence and have some stones to come onto Odson and then disrespect the O in the middle of the field. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. pregame, come on. Like, that's just, you haven't done anything yet to do that. That's what I don't get. It's like, like we've been very pro Coach Prime in Colorado. I don't, I did not like that. You know what I didn't like about that was that was the entire scuffle with Nebraska, right? Is that they were out on the buff. Well, like, yeah, I don't know, man. I think that's kind of disingenuous. Like, if you're going to raise a stink about that, you then can't go into another team stadium and do the exact same thing. Like, I don't know. That was a that was a weird thing. We said it last week. Who were they going to be without Travis Hunter? I mean, dude, you're losing arguably your best player on both sides of the football. And that had to throw that off. I think you and I both thought they would cover that number. We both thought Oregon would win. I did not think it would look like that. I mean, that was a shellacking. That game was never close, yeah. and it was never in doubt. Colorado looked like they did not belong on the field. And I think it was the first time all year where you saw talent gap is probably the wrong word, but I think talent gap when the offensive and defensive lines is probably fair. Uh, I thought that was the first time it was yeah. very noticeable that at the line of scrimmage, Colorado's not there yet. Uh, but I will tell you this. Y'all are nuts if y'all are writing Colorado off already for this weekend against USC because I think those are two very different animals. USC not going to be as physical as Oregon. USC not going to be as nasty as Oregon because I think you embody who your head coach is. That's just not who USC is, not who Lincoln Riley is. And so I think that's a super interesting matchup um, given how those teams are constructed. I think that could very easily turn into a shootout with with how things sit. And maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm interested to see what the number is. I haven't looked this week yet, but that's it. That's an interesting one for me. Um, what's another game I thought was interesting on Saturday? How about um, what's what other big games are we missing? I feel like there was another one. There's another one in the Pac-12. I mean, the Utah UCLA game was a damn slugfest. Just, I mean. It was the reverse of a boxing match. There were no haymakers. It was just a defensive uh, slugfest chopping at the knees. And I will say this. I did watch a good bit of that game. Same thing. I was watching games on my tablet and had a game on TV. If Cam Rising can come back and that offense can develop a little bit and they can have a little bit of offense, Utah is dangerous because that defense is nasty. That defense is I mean, they may be one of the better defenses in the country. Like, that, that is a just – I mean, they are physical. They are fast. The, uh, that defense is going to put – is going to stop some of those high-powered offenses. I mean, I know they were playing UCLA on Saturday, and UCLA is not up, up to par with Oregon and um, USC and those teams. I get that. But they're going to be able to keep those teams that normally score in the 40s into the 20s and if they can get an offense that can score into the 20s which with cam rising i think they can they're gonna be able to probably 
keep up with those teams a little bit better. And Utah's proven that they can win those games, those you know 28-27 games against those teams. And But they need a quarterback, and they don't have one right now. They're basically an option team at this point that throws 11 times a game and prays they complete, you know, seven of them. Yeah, man, they're ham and egg in an offense right now. I mean, they are just treading water until Cam can get back. And it's got to be a little bit, well, I guess alarming is the wrong word. I mean, homie, he tore the ACL in the Rose Bowl. So we're not even a year removed. And so, like, it's pretty obvious that, that a big part of his game is the mobility piece and the escapability. And so I'm sure they're like, well, is he going to be who we need him to be if we have him come back now? But every week that he doesn't play, I think if you're a Utah fan, you get a little bit more concerned because to your point, they're running out of time before they're going to face an offense. that is just going to be too much for them to keep up with offensively themselves. And so that's a big deal. But I agree with you, man. If he comes back and he is – close to the version of himself that he has been historically. I think they are a dangerous sleeper in that conference because they play great defense. I think you can make an argument. They have one of the best home fields in the PAC 12, if not the country. I mean, Utah is a very difficult place to go into and come out with a W. So yeah, they're interesting, man. Really, really interesting. The whole PAC 12 is interesting. What a swan song for that conference. I mean, they have become, I think, the must-watch conference of this college football season. Like, credit where credit's due. They have been the punchline for a lot of jokes over the last decade, but only the Pac-12 is a lot of fun. A lot of great players, a lot of great quarterbacks. And, dude, the matchups are incredible. Is that USC-Oregon game at noon? I remember from last week. It's like 10 Mountain Time or something. Uh, Have they announced that yet? I know the USC-Colorado game's at noon. That's what I meant. Uh, That's what I meant. USC Colorado. Yeah, USC Colorado is at noon this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's at noon this week. Yeah, that's what I thought. Which, dude, 10 a.m. local because it's in Boulder. Yeah, 10 a.m. local. Woo! Oh, we gotta talk about that too. Can we talk about Mark Stoops' comment yesterday? <laughs> Mark Stoops. Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. God, it was my favorite. He, <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know, Mark Stoops got asked about having an early kickoff at noon and if it was a disadvantage, and he said, "No, I don't think it's a disadvantage." I have great faith in the people of Kentucky to get up and drink some beers early in the morning. <laughs> Which then, he got asked about it later in the day, so had a chance to give some depth to it. He said, I didn't mean to be discriminatory. I also have great faith in them drinking bourbon as well. <laughs> oh, so that's just, spectacular. It just kept getting better, man. I loved every minute of it. Like, Mark Stoops, what a what a beauty. Just outstanding. Um all right, well, we've been talking for almost a half hour. Let's talk about the dogs a little bit. Okay. Weird game, right? Because these type of games, you know, I was talking to my brother about this. You play somebody like UAB, it's a pay game. Nobody really cares. I mean, homie, we're watching that game because we're invested, right? But yeah, it's a, it's a lose-lose if you're Georgia as a program because – you can win 60 to nothing, and people go, well, that's what you should have done. And if it's like it was Saturday, where they actually put up some points, the sky is falling, right? And so I try to measure it like, look, man, nobody got injured. That is catastrophic in that game. And 
I thought some good things happened. So I have chosen in my reactions this week to focus on the positive things that happened. Like I thought the offense looked the best that's looked all season. And I thought Carson looked as comfortable as he's looked all season. And in all honesty, they left points on the field. There were some things they didn't finish. And six of six in the red zone, which has been a problem. So I loved it, man. I, I thought they looked as in step as they probably looked all year. So I feel great about that. Um, and I try to give some nuance to the defensive piece of it, right? That it matters against whatever opponent that it is that Javon Buller is not playing. I mean, that matters. <laughs> he is a difference maker. So there were assignments that were missed. There were things you would be exploited that if Javon Buller was on the field, quite frankly, they just don't happen. So I know everybody's saying, well, it was UAB. It shouldn't matter. Look, man, your best player didn't play or one of your best players didn't play. It matters. Michael Williams didn't play. So, like, I just, again, I am not alarmed at all about anything I saw. I am super, super compelled by this road trip to the Plains. I've been saying this for six weeks, that I don't care what Auburn is or how they're constructed or how they've looked. you got to go on the road, in the SEC, play one of your big rivals, at Jordan-Hare, which is one of the toughest road environments in all the conference, if not all the country, homie, it's a test. And if we're having a real conversation, I know South Carolina turned into a test, but this is the first real test, okay? So this is going to be the first, I think, thermometer of who they are. And so we'll see, man. I mean, look. That Auburn offense stinks out loud. So the defense should have a field day. Because did I see on Saturday, did you see this tweet? They threw for under 100 yards on Saturday. And I think going back to last season, that's the sixth game in a row that they've thrown for under 100 yards. Is that right? Did I read that right? That's it's something that's incredible. Like that. I, know that, I know that they haven't thrown for 100 yards this year. That's incredible. So, you know, from a game plan perspective, like, dude, I have no worries about our defense against that offense. I just, it should not be a staunch test. But I am very, let's just say, keyed in on how Carson looks in that environment because it is going to be loud. It's going to be hostile. I'm interested to see how he reacts. I'm interested to see how his body language looks. All these things, right? So, yeah, I know I talked too long there, but I mean, where are you at coming out of UAB? What did you think watching it? All those type of things. I thought the offense looked better. Uh, as I've said since Dejon came back, the offense looks just so much different with him in there. Yep. And they just do. Yep. When a, when a running back can turn a two-yard run into a five-yard run, just the, the offense just gels. I did like how the line played. A lot of people like still hand-wringing about the line. I thought the line played better. I like. I thought the line looked better with Michael Morris at left guard over yes. Dylan Fairchild. Uh, uh-huh. I didn't did not expect that. I was completely su- surprised because Fairchild started, and when Michael Morris came in, it, used, it was a noticeable difference in push. Um, Mike uh-huh. is a big boy, so uh, he's definitely in the run game, especially like pass blocking. Micah, they both struggle in the pass game. Um, Micah, but there was a noticeable push with Micah um, in the run game. As far as Carson. 
like we said, like I said last last week, we don't know how the play is designed to go and who it's supposed to go to, but it's still if the first read is open, he's taking it. Um, there was a noticeable third down before the fourth down play. He threw it short of the sticks, and Marcus that was like a crossing route. And Marcus was coming across the middle, and he threw it short to the guy going left. I can't remember who he threw it to. Marcus was wide open, literally wide open. There was no the the closest guy to Marcus was the ref, the 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 center uh, center judge. There was nobody around Marcus defensively, and he never saw him. He just never even looked at him. And you see him the whole time because they showed it from the back of Carson that Carson looked at the guy um, coming across the field from his right the entire time, going from right to left. I mean, I know that's one specific play, but like I literally stopped it, rewound it several times to watch if Carson ever turned his head. And you, ne- I mean, he may have looked with his eyes, but he never turns his head. As far as the defense, I don't know if it's just me or if this is noticeable to everyone else, but if no one had told me this, I would think that Pop was the one coming off an injury from the offseason, not Smile. He looks... Slow. Slower. Um, Agreed. And it's I don't I don't know if it's noticeable like if it's because of when CJ Allen comes in, CJ Allen looks so much faster, mm-hmm. or if that's how Pop's always been, and I've just not noticed it. But he just he looks slower this year. Yeah. And um, he's losing reps to to CJ Allen, true freshman. And I mean Allen Allen just looks better right now. And I love Pop. I mean. I think Pop's a, a great player and a great linebacker for us, but he's becoming more of a he's becoming a liability in the pass game. He's he's become he's more of a becoming more of a run stuffing linebacker at this point. So that those are my biggest takeaways from this year. The defense, yeah, we gave up some points. Uh, I'm not really worried about it. It was you can't get up for every game like that, and we've had three of these games to start the season, and yeah. this was the third one in four weeks. We started out a little lethargic to begin with, and this was the weirdest offense of the three we played. So I, I'm not I'm not really worried about it. Boy, I'm glad you bring up about Pop because I'm the same way, man. I kind of it's one of those things we don't want to talk about because you like love the player, and I think in your brain you just expect them to be like they were the first two years. But he's looked clunky to me. Does that sound right? Like, yeah, he just doesn't look smooth, stiff. Stiff, yeah. Like the hips are real stiff. He's just not. Yeah, man. He just doesn't look fluid. Doesn't look athletic. And yeah, it's you're right, though. I mean, he is he is losing reps to CJ Allen. And if we're being honest, it's justified. Like CJ Allen has looked much more like a difference maker than Pop has. And you know, I don't know. I think he's cognizant of it. They asked him, I thought, pretty gently this this week in his press availability. They didn't come out and say it, but you could tell the aim of the question was like, hey, dude, doesn't seem like you're playing like you used to play. And he kind of said, yeah, I feel like I've been average this year. And he's right. I mean, he's he's been unnoticeable in positive ways. Does that make sense? Like, when I notice him, it's yeah. like, Jesus, like, Pop, where were you right there, bud? Um yeah, I agree. I, that's that's a good point, and that is something we got to figure out. You know, like that's an important spot on the field, and there was expectation that he was going to be the contributor that he's been. I think, especially last year, and I don't know, it just hadn't happened yet. And 
So we got to figure that out because that's going to matter. And I just think, too, that the stingier that defense can be, it and this is obvious, but it gives the offense more grace. And we're going to need that at some point because I have liked how Carson has looked. He has. They want him to do. But I think what they've sacrificed in that is the ability to come off that first read, like you mentioned. You know, I think too, man, boy, did we get spoiled with Stetson. I just think he was such an instinctive player and could see things and was ballsy enough to wait and take the risk and knew when to do that and when to cut bait. And look, man, you just can't teach that. Everybody's not going to be that way. I think that's the other piece about the way people have reacted over the course of this year is there's been all this expectation and all this desire for it to look exactly how it looked last year. And homie, it's not last year. This is a whole different team. It's a whole different set of dudes. It's a whole different chemistry. It's a whole different everything. And we've talked about this since we started doing this almost four years ago. Like, Every football team is a living, breathing organism. And this team is figuring out who they are and how they operate. And to your point, I think the offense has looked worlds different just since with Dejan back, right? Because it gives them a foothold of this is who we are and this is what we can hang our hat on. And they're figuring it out, guys. Like, I just think we got to give them a little bit of grace on that. And... This team, I think, too, has so much talent that the potential, right, the ceiling for this team is still way up here. And I think now they're kind of like right here, okay? And that's okay because it's been four games. And we talked about this a ton in the offseason. Because of the way the schedule set up, this was essentially like an extended preseason anyways. Like, they were getting different guys run and figuring out who could contribute, who's going to be a real and who's, going to, who's a practice guy. And you know what I mean? All that's been happening. And so I just think we got to pump the brakes collectively as a fan base and go, we're 4-0. We're the number one team in the country. Everything is in front of us. And, like, it's okay. Everything is okay. <laughs> I do have a question. If Realistically, if you were an AP voter – would you vote Georgia number one right now? No, no. Based off, based off of what you've seen, not to start the season, not the preseason rankings. No, absolutely not. I, I think, dude, I think ranking teams is okay. so it's such a stupid, stupid exercise before you've seen anybody play. I mean, dude, if I had an AP vote, you know how my number one team is? The freaking Washington Huskies. Like, if somebody that, asked me, who don't, who, don't you, who don't you want to play right now? Uh, yeah, I don't want to play Michael Penix in Washington. That's who I don't want to play. Actually, for fun, so, I d- actually do it before the AP poll comes out just to see like how it compares. Like I have Georgia, yeah. I have Georgia three right now, so and I think that that's justified based off of how they've looked, and it's not a knock against them, but they have they haven't played anybody. They have no like their quality win is South Carolina, and we don't really know what that is yet. So yep. they haven't looked like world beaters, but they haven't looked. The people behind them haven't looked better, and the, but they haven't looked as good as the people in front of them type situation. Yeah. So, and they played. And another thing is, they played four home games. That's another yeah. thing that's really weird to have this way to start the season. 
Uh-huh. They haven't had a road game yet. I've yep. got Texas at two, which I don't love, but they have the best win of the season so far. No matter how Alabama is down right now, Alabama going into Bryant-Denny is still one of the hardest places to play. So I have Florida yep. State at four because Florida State is – I had beforehand how I had this was I had Washington, Texas, Florida State, Georgia is how I had it. Um, I flip-flopped Florida State and Texas a couple of times. I had before Florida State versus uh, Boston College, I had Florida State at two, and I've just kind of flip-flopped those two back and forth, but based off of Florida State versus BC. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I No, I don't. I would not vote Georgia number one. And I think that's just honest, right? Like, we knew after we sat together at the Benz against Oregon last year, this is the best team in the country. Like, the only team that's beaten them this yeah. year is them. They, they are their only yeah. opponent. I don't feel that way about them yet this year. There are teams that could beat them. No. I mean, I, that's just – that's real, okay? And that's okay. Like, that's the other thing is we, we have gotten so spoiled where the expectation is they either win the national championship or this season is a failure. And, and that's awesome. You know, that is the standard you and I have wanted for years, right, that we're upset if we don't win the national title. I love that. I love that that's where we are at as a program. Like, dude, that's, that's the goal, right? Excellence is the standard. We have talked about that a ton. So I'm all for that. The flip side of that is you have to be realistic each year about where we're at. And yeah, man, we're yeah. not there yet. I'm not saying we won't get there. We can get there. We can be the best team in the country. We just aren't today. That's okay. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. And we have to remember, going, even going back to last year, as good as Georgia was against Oregon, they were much better to finish that finish last season mm-hmm. than they were at the beginning of the season. And they were damn sure better than they were after that Oregon game than they were after that three-game stretch after that Oregon game. Yeah. You know, that, that three-game stretch after that Oregon game was not pretty. It was ugly. You know, yeah. they were wins, and they were, you know, fairly comfortable wins, you know, until they got to Missouri. But they weren't dominant wins they were more like they've looked these first couple of weeks you know like Sanford and I can't remember who the other uh play uh pay game was uh last year that was in there but it was just they weren't dominant wins yeah you know what I mean there was the South Carolina was the dominant win but then they went to kind of there was Sanford South Carolina and then I can't remember who it Kent was, State. was Missouri. Um, Kent State Kent State thank you Kent State um, Sean Lewis is Kent State but you know what I mean Everybody, you know, had their hands ringing about that and everything, you know. So it was like we ha- we had these same conversations last year. Not not that we were worried, but like the fan base about about how you know, oh, the offense looks like this and like this and yada 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 and all this crap about Munkin and the play calling and the same conversations last year, and things worked out just fine. So just like Aaron Rodgers, relax. Yeah, yeah. Relax. Take a breath. I just think it's – and I kind of felt this way coming into the season. This this season is going to look different. It's going to be more of a grind than the last two years have looked like. And what I mean by that is it's not going to be this – the game's over at halftime and everybody can go have a bourbon at the tailgate type thing. Like it's just – it's not going to be that. And again, that's okay. Like – they're, they're all going to look different, and I think this one is going to look different. I think that they're just finding their way. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm saying this right now. If they figure out who they are, and if they collectively 
can attach to an identity as a team, they are scary. Really, really scary. Because I think one of the beauties of this season thus far is, homie, look at the participation chart the first four weeks, right? The amount of guys that are getting playing time and getting live game reps, their depth is expanding. And there are guys that are going to contribute and be prepared to contribute that wouldn't have been otherwise. And so, I don't know, man. I, I feel good about where it's at. I feel different than how I felt at the end of September the past two years. But I feel good. This is, this is a different team. It's going to look different. It's going to be different. I just, I believe that. And so, we're fine, man. We are fine. Everything is fine. Um, and I do. I think, dude, I think Carson is getting better each week. And they are, you can see them getting comfortable with each other in the receiving core in-game. And he's feeling comfortable with where he wants to go and who he wants to go to in certain situations. I also think Brock looked as healthy as he's looked all year Saturday, no? Definitely. Yeah. He definitely looked the best he's looked all year. And homie, that man is a mutant. I mean, he is a weapon. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I just, he's the ultimate X factor there, and I think they'll use him accordingly. And, you know, we've talked about it, but I also think it is important and should be talked about that, dude, Lad McConkey ain't playing. And <laughs> he's important. And not having him, they look different. And so they're talking about maybe he plays Saturday. I don't see it. This back thing is starting to worry me a little bit, you know, like it's a back. And, it's just one of those things where you can't forecast and you don't know how it's going to be. And so I don't know, man, I don't know what his availability is going to look like. And does this become a thing like AD where he's out till November or is it like Pickens where he's out till almost the SEC? T- I just don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is. And I think the scary thing is I don't think they know what it is because we texted about this yesterday. All the dialogue around it has been essentially, we don't know what the hell is going on. We don't know when it's going to be back. So yeah. That's the part that I think is the freakiest about it. But, yeah. Well, that's all I got, homie. That's all I got for now. Yep. It was an exciting week, and we're on to Auburn. On to Auburn, yeah. Deep South's oldest rivalry coming Saturday, 3.30. Man, I can't wait. I love this rivalry. So, yeah, can't wait. And we will have a preview episode for that coming up in a couple days. And until then, go dogs. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.